Canucks Central Friday. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. We're here in the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Canucks Central is for Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep superstore on 2nd Avenue between Camby and Main or at EnzymePacificChrysler.com. C.A. Yes, uh, back in the saddle after a, a couple of days off on the mend. You know, I guess it is flu season, Sat. Yeah, cold and flu season. It got you. I uh, I tried to do the responsible thing and uh, and not come to work sick. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, like, so Cam had to talk, uh, our fearless leader, Cam Barra, had to talk me uh, out of working yesterday um, because I, I wanted to be at Dyson Ice. I'm not, I'm not going to yeah. lie. Like, you know, it's it's uh, it's a really cool event. But then also, like, when I thought about it later on in the day, I was like, do I really want to be the guy that could have potentially derailed the Canucks season? Like, imagine I get everybody sick and then it just, like, completely throws off the good vibes of the Canucks season. I think we were joking last year, um, early in the season, um, I think it was Jamie Dodd was at training camp or something like that. And he I was think it was at the something. Milford at the start was of the Milford, year. was at Milford, right. He wasn't feeling 100%, and then like the Canucks had the flu, and we're like, I bet you it was Jamie Dodd. He got everybody <laughs> sick. He's the reason why Bruce Boudreaux got fired. It was pretty- so you're going to be the reason why the season's being derailed? It would have been. It was uh, It was really funny to listen to Jamie <laughs> that day, because he yeah. sounded like at the start of the show, he sounded fine, and then by yeah. the end of the show, he had no voice. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens. That's what happened to me um, when we went to Abbotsford. Remember when we did the game? You were doing color that night. Yeah, it was yeah. me and Big doing the game, the preseason game. And I was feeling fine. Like I was like, yeah, I'm feeling good, all all good. And then as I got to Abbotsford, and night went on, and we got worse and worse. And by the time like the post game show was over, I could barely speak, speak and breathe. So yeah, sometimes <laughs> that happens. <laughs> I remember listening on the drive home, like, wow, Sat's in trouble. Don't think he's working tomorrow. <laughs> no, I'm not making it tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yes, yeah, do the responsible thing and. Uh, and don't come to work sick. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, in, it's, it's good. And uh, you're not going to be the reason why the Canucks are... If they lose tomorrow, it's not because of you. Yeah. <laughs> we know that. We no, can't blame you. Uh, can't, yeah. can't blame me. Wasn't, wasn't me. I didn't get, get everybody sick. So uh, so I'm, I'm glad. I, I also... I had to come to work today just so that people wouldn't think that I went to Cabo three days early. <laughs> Is that the only reason you came in today? People <laughs> That's thinking, the only reason I came to work. <laughs> That's why he's being like, so I have quiet to be on ready, social media. I have to be ready for work on Friday. Because, like, <laughs> if not, people are going to be like, oh, Dan took just an extra three days vacation. You know what? I wouldn't have thought that. But now in the future, <laughs> I will think that. Yeah. Reaches up to some sneakiness. Yes. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Definitely that's what goes on in my head. Uh, all right. It's uh, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. So uh, how, how was Dyson Ice, by the way? I listened to all the, the interviews. They were great. And uh, my the, the reason I, I had to listen to every single minute of every interview on, on one speed rather than one and a half, <laughs> I, I, had to, I had to know. If Rick Tockett gave you the good questions, oh, he, he it was a very it was a very uh, full hearted, great questions at the end. Like it was like an emphasis on great. You know, someone say great. It was kind of like Kellogg's, you know, the Kellogg's Tiger. That was almost the way he said great. Yeah, that's how excited he was. It was uh, when when we were at Dyson Ice last year. Uh, it was our first time talking to Rick Tockett, and we we sat there table side with him, and I think he had just coached a, a couple of games at that point, right? And after the interview, he was 
just thrilled at our questions. Like he just kept saying it over and over again. Like good questions, great questions. Well, well and the best part about it too was it wasn't just to us. Like he was walking away and he was talking to one of the PR people. He was like, that, that was a really good interview. Those are really good questions they asked. <laughs> and then we felt pride. We're like, yeah, man, this this guy's like, he he's, he really likes our questions. And then he says it to everybody. We're like, Wait. <laughs> I was like, man, what were they asking? Like. Was Craig Craig Morgan not asking good questions in Arizona? I don't I don't understand. Uh, Poor Craig. I guess the all, all the only questions he got in Arizona were when is the team moving? Yes. <laughs> what do you think of Salt Lake City? <laughs> uh, that's uh, that's pretty much it. But yeah, Dice and Ice. Um, it it uh, seemed like a great event, and uh, the interviews were great. You can find them on uh, on podcast Canuck Central. Yeah, I mean, my, my biggest takeaway for for all of it was just kind of like how they all sounded the same. Like they they all sounded like the, the, the disciples of Talk It, yes. you know, and about like how focused they are and taking a day day at a time. And, and it's and they're so serious that even Talk It was like, well, you know, the guys gonna have some fun too, <laughs> you know, that maybe they're just taking it too seriously almost, which you can't really do when you're talking about being a winning hockey team. But that was really interesting. Like every guy we spoke to somehow said the same thing about the focus they have. So yeah. that was, I thought, interesting. It's, uh, you know, and, and especially the leadership group, the way they talk about how much more prepared they were this year for, for everything that was coming and um, how complimentary they are of the, of the coaching staff. Uh, there's there's a lot of good things happening in Vancouver. If you missed any of those interviews again, uh, you can check them out on the podcast with your favorite podcatcher. Subscribe, leave a review. That way you never miss an edition of Canuck Central or any of our exclusive interviews all of our post-game shows, and much, much more. So a lot going on around the NHL. And, you know, the as we get closer to the All-Star break, this is usually the time of year that the trade market starts to open up, right? Um, it was January 30th when the Canucks traded Bo Horvat last year. It was during their bye week. And... As of right now, Emily Kaplan reporting at, at ESPN, the trade market is moving at a uh, slow pace, to mm-hmm. say the least. A, a sloth's pace, you, you might even say. And that is, uh, it is interesting because I think, as she points out in the piece, it has something to do with the incredible amount of parity and the lack of separation between... Some of those teams holding the final playoff spots and those that uh, are still within a puncher's chance of getting to the postseason. Yeah, and I mean, you can look at this year and say, it, and Emily mentions this in the article, that it's such a wide-open year that if you feel like you are you got a chance, why not go all-in for it? But the thing holding teams back, I think, is I think it's threefold, really. One is the scarcity of players available to, to begin with. The second one being cap space, pure cap space. And a number of contenders that have already spent quite a bit of capital in previous years trying to win. And how much more can they truly spend in a market like this? Case in point being the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's spend so much they have cap issues and it's like how much more do we really want to spend Oilers to, to a similar extent as well so it's like there are contenders that really want to do stuff but do they have the wherewithal to pull it off anyways yeah and that's uh that's really what it comes down to with this with this deadline uh all of the 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 things that you mentioned the, the thing that we've talked about so much is the lack of players that are available and Sure, there could be a couple of, that come available that that we don't really recognize right now—a a Philip Peronic type, an RFA, or some somebody in their mid twenties that, for whatever reason, ends up on the trade block. Um, but 
because of a lack of cap space and a lack of defined buyers and sellers, it, it's really holding up any sort of market developing right now. Yeah. No, it really has, right? And, you know, I, I see Raymond mentioning slow market or not, this Canucks team, they find ways to make deals. And that's true. They, 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 they certainly do. But at the same time, like you go through uh, the teams and you go through like what's available even. Like even some of the guys that are available all have a term. Like that's why we identified Casey Middlestat because he has one year and then he's UA, RFA and, and perhaps a somewhat similar situation to Philip Peronic. But the, the lack of cap space is another big factor, especially with all these guys making money. Like even Edmonton, for instance, like Edmonton can't add anybody unless they subtract somebody yeah you know so it's like what are they going to do that's why you, you see brett kulak's name be out there and it's like they like brett kulak but if they want to add somebody they got to move somebody out and you know you get uh, those three team type deals or you know the chicago's uh, anaheim's maybe uh, taking on a, a bit part of a salary for the rest of the year just yeah. to to facilitate some kind of a trade we'll see how how those types of things work out but you know, the other part that is interesting from Emily is, you know, this consistent take inside the inner workings of the league that if there is going to be a team that goes all in, one of them will be the Vancouver Canucks. And, hey, it's it's hard to disagree with uh, that sort of mindset for Vancouver. You've got to this point in the season. You are number one in the league points wise. You have the best goal differential in the league. Um, what is not to like? So, it's it's not really a surprise to see yet another insider say that the Canucks want to be all in. Yeah, and I mean, number one, uh, they have been the most active team in the trade market since uh, they brought this new regime in, um, you know, two years ago now. But even this season, they made more trades than anybody else. They're, they've been far more active. And the GM and the president have made it very clear that they would like to keep adding to the team. So it's it's very much, you know, aligns with everything that you see. But also, I think it's it's true in that it seems like Vancouver might be the most aggressive team right now to get something done and the reason why you're hearing it hearing it now is traditionally teams led by Jim Rutherford get their business done rel relatively early. We even saw this last year with the Canucks, of course, too, getting the Bo Horvat deal done. They got the Philip Heronic deal done, obviously, before the offseason ahead of the trade deadline. But I think they're the team right now that's probably showing the most determination and ambition to get something done. And I don't think it's a coincidence that you hear the Canucks name a lot and also being linked to certain players like Elias Lindholm. Like, I think all that stuff is very legit. I do wonder if, uh, you know, they look at the bye week and say, we want to have something done uh, during the bye week. And, you know, they, they did it last year with Horvat, so maybe there's a little bit of a template, except this time they could be the buyer in, in this scenario. And look, Lindholm's name just comes up everywhere mm -hmm. in connection with the Vancouver Canucks. And I... I like, I can see it. I've liked Lindholm's game. Not so much this year, but in the past, I've really liked Lindholm's game. I don't think he's the 40-goal scorer that he was a couple of seasons ago, but he's a guy who's got a little bit of scoring pop, and when he's playing well, he defends pretty well. You know, the, the question, I think, with, with a Lindholm is, you know, is this somebody they've targeted because they still see talent there, obviously, but maybe the price is going down with the way that he's played. He's got one goal in his last 23 games. Like this isn't a guy that you're bringing in who's been playing well all season and you just expect that to continue on. It's it's sort of the opposite of Bo Horvat who was super red hot all year with the Canucks and then he went to the Islanders and then got cold. You know, the Canucks would be hoping hey, a better environment, uh, maybe some better line mates, that'll help Lindholm get going. 
And, and things aren't getting any better in Calgary, right? They lost four in a row now. They're six points clear of the last wild card spot. They're under 500 for the season, negative point goal differential. Like, this team doesn't have the makings of making a run, right? So, I mean, it, it's a team that probably is looking to get some stuff done ahead of time and not be stuck at the deadline trying to trade all their UFAs. So I think there is some motivation from Calgary. We do know that they've been hesitant in the past to make deals with Vancouver, albeit they made the Zadorov trade because the money could go the other way. Yeah. But I do think like Lindholm fits in a lot of ways. But, but I wonder if they do that type of trade, especially because he's UFA, are they making that type of trade without some idea of what it's going to take to keep him in Vancouver? Because I'm just not sure they're at a stage where they want to spend all those assets for a straight-up pure rental. So I, I'm i curious about the cost of uh, of Lindholm right now. It's probably like what, a first and a B prospect sort of thing? Yeah, I mean, it, it shouldn't be as much as Bo Horvat went for last year, right? No. Horvat had 54 points at the deadline, had almost 30 goals, and one of the hottest players in the National Hockey League at the time, whereas Lindholm, as you mentioned, he struggled. So I don't think the value, asset value is at the same level that it was. So I think that may make it a bit easier for Vancouver to pay the price, but also in terms of keeping Elias Lindholm, we heard, and we heard for Sir Valley and other insiders mention that he look he's looking for the Bo Horvat type of contract, eight, eight and a half, and perhaps even nine, seven, eight years, something along those lines. That was sort of the estimate at the at the start of the season, right? Yeah, absolutely. But even ahead of last season, I think there was some hesitation from Calgary to even offer that type of money because yeah. last year he wasn't quite as explosive. They didn't have Goudreau and, and Kachuk playing with them. You saw that that production and effectiveness drop pretty significantly. So it's if you're if you're any team trying to sign Elias Lindholm, do you feel comfortable giving him eight or nine million? Like I'm just not like I know it's a really barren free agent market, but do you see somebody giving him that in free agency? Well, so if you look at his numbers. I would say his agents could make the argument that he's worth something close to that because, I mean, hey, Bo Horvat got the eight and a half million dollars uh, from yeah. from the New York Islanders, and you know Bo had never really had a season quite as good as 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 Elias Lindholm did. So that's that's really all his agents <laughs> may have to argue, right? Is well, my guys had a forty goal season, and uh, you know uh, other guys who have who are getting that kind of money aren't Pierre-Luc Dubois even hasn't had quite as good a season as uh, Elias Lindholm has had in the past. Now, you know, that was more in the middle of his prime rather than the last couple of years now. So that should change the conversation a little bit, but a lot of his production lines up with, with those kinds of players in that $8 million range for, for a center. Yeah. I mean, I just, I mean, hey, I've, I've been wrong before because free agency, a lot of things can happen. But I, I thought we saw last year in free agency, there, there was this, this reluctance to really give up the big money. Guys got paid and ultimately, you know, it, was, it wasn't quite as much as some had even thought. Like even, even the contracts uh, for li- guys like Andrew Kopp, for instance, or even guys uh, like JT Comfer, like he got paid, but it wasn't like four years, five years. Like it, it wasn't the six, seven year deal worth 30, 40 million plus, you know? So I wonder if, if that, the AAV might be realistic, but on a far shorter term. The thing I wonder about with Vancouver, Dan, is it was clear they were willing to keep Bo, right? But they wanted to keep Bo at a certain price. I think, you know, we mentioned right. the Ryan Nugent Hopkins deal, uh, you know, seven, eight year contract, somewhere in the five and a half, maybe six million range. We're talking anywhere from 45 to maybe 50 million in total money. Is there a chance that you can get Lindholm signed for that? And if they can, would that make it more appealing for Vancouver? So. You know that number would be what uh, between six and seven million, given where the cap is going to be next year. At eighty-seven and a half is where the projections are right now. 
something along those lines. I, I'd say, let's say six. Let's say six point five times yeah. seven or seven or eight. Right. So, you know, that's it. It, it sounds a lot more palatable for that number than the eight, eight and a half uh, that Lindholm was potentially seeking in the offseason last year from Calgary when they started negotiations. And as the season has gone on, it's obvious, you know, he's not going to get that. He's only got eight goals in 48 games. So um, that number seems a lot more palatable. Uh, You know, I'm always wary about how many guys uh, into their mid-30s you are locking into deals. The Canucks already have JT Miller signed up. Do you want to have another uh, centerman or top six player in Lindholm signed into his mid-30s? Like, he's going to be 30 in December of this year. So next season will be his age 30 season as as an NHL player. And, you know, if you give him a, a seven, six or seven year deal, like you're then he's going to be a Vancouver Canuck until he's 36 or 37. And yeah. that's and that's that's it, risky. It is risky. Now, the thing I just keep wondering about is if the Canucks are trading away a first round pick and if it's say, let's say you're trading a first in Hoaglander. I mean, again, like if you won't even want to trade for Lindholm, even if they retain half the salary, somebody has to go the other way. You can make it work if you're trading Hoaglander the other way. But just for argument's sake, let's just say the cost is a Hoaglander and a first-round pick. I just don't know if Vancouver's going to make that type of trade for a guy they're just holding on to as a rental. Yeah. And I know uh, uh, Rutherford, when he joined us last week, did say that, hey, they're not against trading for rentals and they may not have to sign a guy right away. But I do think they like to have some a general idea of what it's going to take to get guys. And if they are going to go out and trade that type of a package for somebody, whether it's a Lindholm, whether it's a Gensel, I think they want to have a ballpark idea what what it's going to cost and feel somewhat comfortable about some that being something they're going to pursue. That's what I just wonder about, especially with Lindholm. I just I just don't know if it makes sense for you to go and trade the assets if you're not actually holding on to the guy. You can make the argument they shouldn't sign him anyways or whatever, yeah. but it's just it's one of the things in terms of trying to determine if they're trading for a UFA, are they willing to give up the price and only have a guy here for three months? Yeah. That's uh, yeah. That's that's a tough ask um, to to do that. Like I could see it more with a player like Adam Henrique because cost is less. Cost is less. You know, he is an even older player in, into his early to mid thirties. So you know, you're not giving up the first round pick plus a prospect type of deal for Adam Henrique as you are with an Elias Lindholm. Um, would the other part of this equation be? You want to know about Pedersen first before, you know, even thinking about giving any sort of acquisition a new contract. But can you? In what you way? You can. I mean, you know, you yeah. can you? Like, you I mean, can you figure that out? It doesn't seem like they can. Yeah, it doesn't seem it very like clear. you're going to get an answer on Pedersen, yeah. Now, uh, we did hear uh, Pedersen was supposed to meet with his agent at the All-Star break, and and perhaps we get some clarity or, or some indication when we all return in, in February to uh, to game action again, and maybe there's some clarity ahead of the trade deadline. But if, the, if that doesn't come, yeah, then like you're you're not going to be able to have that. And I wonder if you still have to make you. you I still got to make decisions. You have to make decisions, and you have to make decisions still with the mindset of trying to win. And I think that's how they're viewing it. And do they see, say, Lindholm, Gensel, or somebody else? Let's say Middlestad, even, right? Like, and again, you know, I mentioned we we 
we had this discussion on Wednesday, Reach, when you weren't feeling great. We talked about like our wish list, like of, of guys that are you know actually available. And we joked about guys like Dylan Cousins. Somebody's texting in and saying trade for Cousins. Like great, trade for Cousins, trade for McDavid, but yeah. they have to be available. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you know, it's not NHL. You know, twenty twenty four where you make a trade offer and somebody's yeah. eventually going to accept because you give a good enough offer. Like it doesn't work like, that is way. Kevin right? Adams even answering the phone if you call about Dylan Cousins. Like come on, or yeah, or whomever else, right? Like it, the player has to be available. So we go based on hey, there's things we don't know about, but look at guys that could be available UFAs guys that you you can talk yourself into like Toffoli if New Jersey keeps losing do they make him available as a, as a seller at the deadline right I know Bix very high on him so for me like the guy I would want more than anybody is Casey Middlestad because you can keep him here long term he's 26 years old the contract may not be ridiculous you could grow with the team long term you can make that trade independent of what the future holds for Elias Patterson because that's the guy that can fit here long term so I wonder when they look to make that type of deal especially if this situation around Pedersen remains long-term murky, you'd want to bring somebody in that, that regardless of him being here or not, that you feel comfortable holding on to. Kevin Weeks had mentioned, uh, it was, I, I think, a couple of weeks ago now, that Middlestat might be a player to watch as far as somebody that could come loose in Buffalo. Uh, you know, he's, he's a really good player, so I, I still find it doubtful that you know, a 25-year-old center who has good two-way ability is uh, going to shake free. But, you know, he's due for a new contract. They've already given long-term deals to Tage Thompson and, and Dylan Cousins and a lot of their younger defensemen. They've got more young guys coming. So, you know, it, I guess you could talk yourself into it with middle stat more than maybe some others. It's... Not an identical situation to Philip Ronick where, you know, Detroit knew they were going to have to give big money to Maritz Sider, and they just said, well, in that case, uh, Philip Ronick is, is now a trade asset for us rather than somebody we want to keep here long term. Is, is something similar going to happen with a Casey Middlestat? That's, I, I guess, something that people around hockey are wondering right now. No, exactly, right? I and mean, people say that you guys make hypothetical trades all the time, but I'm, we're not sitting here and talking about trading for, you know, Connor McDavid or go out and trade for Andre Kopitar, right? Or, you know, we joke about, you know, Eric Sinek and Austin and Langley's like, uh, forget Lindholm, seems expensive. All roads lead back to Eric Sinek. It's like fantastic. I love it, but there's really no indication at yeah. all that he's available for Minnesota, you know? And, you know, we can have some fun. We can joke around and, 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 and talk about idealistically what we want to do, but, I think the exercise now with the deadline being, you know, a month and a bit away is let's try to nail down who's actually available, what can actually work, right? And, and what are the types of things that they're looking at? Me personally, like I mentioned, if you can go after a middle stats guy, I would much prefer to do that. And hey, if Eric Sinek was available, absolutely go, go and trade like Aramaki if you wanted to trade a first round pick. I don't care. Go do what you got to do. Yeah. I, I think, look, <laughs> anybody could be, uh, available for the Canucks to trade for the right player. Um, it's just this idea of all in right now with the way that the league is, you know, I think the Canucks are, are ready to, to, to pounce as, you know, as the, the article states and as everybody keeps talking about, the Canucks are ready to be all in and other teams maybe haven't made that decision just yet. I think that's why the Canucks are maybe trying to hone in on their trade target sooner rather than later uh we'll get to more of your texts obviously it's uh mailbag friday so we'll get in on that as well a little bit later on plus our friday analyst yana canson is coming up it's dan Richo, satyar shaw in the kintec studio on the sportsnet 650 discussing the biggest stories that matter to vancouver sports fans halford and bruff in the morning subscribe and download the show on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts
back in on Canuck Central. We are brought to you by Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Canby and Maine, or at EnzymePacificChrysler.ca. A lot still to get to on the program. We'll have the mailbag coming up in a few moments and more of your texts as well through the course of the day. But let's bring in our next guest. He's our Friday analyst, and he is brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. It is Yannick Hansen. Thanks for this, Yannick. How are you? Yeah, my pleasure. How are you guys doing? Uh, we are uh, We're doing pretty well. The bye week is approaching, the all-star break, and the uh, Canucks are... Still in first place. It's been uh, the remarkable turnaround we can't stop talking about. Yeah, this break is coming up at a bad time, right? Um, when you're playing like this, you don't want any kind of disruption. Um, that being said, uh, if there's any uh, bumps and bruises here and there, you, you'll take the rest uh, as it comes. But uh, when the team are are gliding through, and I'm, I'm using the word gliding through, when you go 8-0-2 in the last 10, then you're doing something right. Um, again, we talked about this uh, coming off the, the Christmas break. Uh, wanted them to continue to, to collect points, put management in a position to where you you kind of forcing their hands as to, okay, we, we need to see what we got here, and they've shown them they keep winning. Um, now, now let's see what you can, can add to this group in order to really round it out. I think that's been our discussion, and I know you mentioned you really want to see a, a running mate for Elias Pettersson, find a scoring winger for him. It also kind of comes down to ultimately what they can find and what they can do. The the thing I wonder about is, is it worth doing anything if you're not getting a top six player? Like, let's say you're one of the guys in the room, or just in terms of their chances. Is it worth adding depth guys in your bottom six if you can't get that top six player? I don't think so. Uh, I think you have enough. Um, that being said, if somebody comes available for a third or a fourth round pick, um, and it's somebody who can play on the third line or fourth line or fill in when if there's an injury, I, I say go for it. Um, but but I would not I would not overpay, and I do use the word overpay for for anything short of uh, a number number one or number two winger, if you will. Um, and at that point, I'm. I'm willing to to go a little further because it is needed. We talked about this um, when, when the Lotto line was playing so well. That what happens when they start getting uh, getting pinched off a little bit when they are producing, and we got to revert back to who who's playing with PD now. And now we're talking about splitting them up again because they're not really playing as well as they were right when they got put together. And now you need to find two wingers, um, and you need to create a line. And I hate. To be, I hate to have to create, and I used to read create a line that's in your top six. It, it should be, it should be, it should be done. Uh, you should have two guys, and then yeah, Hergland is playing really well. Let's give him a shot there. Or Kuzmenko was playing phenomenal last year. Let him stay there for forty games. But but you need you need your stables, and, and it can't be a revolving door where you have three top six wingers, and then the other or top six players and then the other three is just a mix match no i i'd like two for sure on each line and then you can mix and match the 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 third winger on both lines if you will um but again that that's where it comes into to the willingness to to pay for the right player here and i get you're not you're not selling the farm and and the house and everything but but i i'm willing to go a little bit deeper for the right player there's no question about that 
Well, and I think the the way the bottom six is constructed right now, and and you know the way we see a, a lack of depth around some other teams around the league, you know that they, they have an advantage almost in the bottom six. But when you when you get to the playoffs, um, you know I I just. It, it they, they they seem to lose the battle in the top six to you know Edmonton obviously Vegas is is really great in in their top six even Dallas and Colorado and that's that's what would worry me in a playoff series against any of those top teams in the West. Yeah, that's where three is not enough. Um, four uh, and then hopefully a staple as a fifth and then a sixth guy you can kind of switch in, but but you need. You need more. You yeah. need more than what you have if you get shut down. That's where you find that right winger. And I know it's a lot of ifs and hopes and praises and all these things. But if you find this winger for Petey, now you have two lines. And now you can match as well. Now you won't get on paper overlooked by all these teams you just ma- uh, mentioned to me. Because like now we're looking pretty good matching up with these, against these guys. Yeah, these, some of these teams have had three guys playing together all year and all these things. But... Um, in all fairness, uh, it's certain drivers on each lines who get the job done, and it's no different in Edmonton, in in Colorado. It's certain guys who who wills their way, and then they pull other guys with them. And we have those guys as well. It, it's just harder to do w- when you're on an island, if you will. Is it too uh, like? Are we past the point where you cross your fingers and hope Kuzmenko comes around? I still hope so because he would he would give you five, yeah. And then you're really talking. Uh, now you got something. I, I'm still hoping and praying that that he find what he showed us last year, um, because I've mentioned that he he's an X factor. He he can be so good. He can be so good. He can drive play, and when he plays on in that top six, you're not looking to him first or even second or third. Um, so he'll get more space. You, you're worried about what's Petey doing, what, what, what's, what's these guys doing, and then he gets a little bit of room, and, and he is so nifty, so shifty, so good with the puck that he can make it happen on his own himself as well. Um, and, and that's why you're hoping for that to come. Um, but again, you're not relying on it. It's like I said, it's an X factor. It's something some players have this ability to not win a series, take over and, and dominate, but but he has the skill set to win your game, to make the plays that when things aren't going well for, for just about everybody else, enough skill to do it on his own, set up a guy, score a goal, to win you that one game in a series that'll push you over the top. And that's why I use the, the, the game like a game breaker or an X factor because you, you're not relying on it, but it's something that, that can give you that little little oomph, if you will, in order to, to pull through in a series. And as far as the back end is concerned, we've had a chance now to watch Zadorov, how he fits in, and Susi being injured, you know, they have Juleson coming in. Should they at all consider upgrading the blue line if they can as well at the deadline? Well, it's Susie's going to end up having missed, what, 20 weeks by the time he comes back from this one? Uh, yeah. That, that's never a good thing. And that's what scares you because... If he's in the lineup and they're healthy, you have your 60s. I don't need you spending um, assets effort on this. But but again, the the injury and and we saw what happened last time he went down. How thin they were. Yeah, they added Sidorov afterwards and it stabilized it a little bit. Um, but now six weeks without him, what happens if one of these other guys go down? And then we're talking Myers, Sidorov, Cole, um, any of these guys. Now that then you go. 
then you go go all of a sudden you're you're down to yeah your top pairing and then what um, and that's where the depth but again I'm hearing Tanev's name getting thrown out uh, he's not going to come cheap um, he's a guy I would have preferred bringing in over a, um, a Sidorov or, or that guy where you're bringing in a, a significant upgrade on on your defense where now you're you're really going to stretch your way your, yourself thin if you're bringing in a, a number three or number four legitimate defenseman and a top six winger that that that's gonna that that's gonna pillage your your stockpile in terms of assets that's for sure how much tougher does the season get uh now from from here on out like uh, does uh, the intensity pick up in in march and april is uh is being in a comfortable position for the canucks a, like a good or a bad thing or how much of this is now about just getting yourself ready for that first round yeah it's it's hard to to explain because you want to be in that situation but you also don't want to be cruising into the playoff um that being said it's it's easier for guys to take their time to get healthy um, if they're injured if you're not having to win 10 out of the last 14 games in the season in order to make the playoff we can okay well we'll take another another day off or a game off and then come back healthy but but again if you're not playing at that intensity that you need to in order to compete, yeah, you might get away with, with winning a couple of games here and there against Blackhawks where you're not on and and these type of games. But uh, come game one, round one, if it's L.A. or Nashville or St. Louis or any one of those um, that are sitting in that wild card spot right now, if you're not playing at 98 99%, you're not going to win that series. And that's always the danger with, with being safe, for too long and you can still be safe don't get me wrong but 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 again you still got to be playing for something and, and they are to an extent because they only have a, a what is it a handful of points up on on vegas and you definitely want home ice uh and you want home ice for as long as you can you you obviously want to avoid vegas and, and edmonton in the first round um, and then get that wild card spot so there's there's still a ton to play for and, and you're not cruising in any way um so, so they're they're in a good spot right now, but but it, it's not going to take them a three game losing streak, and then and then that cushion is is gone, and then you're you're fighting tooth and nail to to just get home ice all of a sudden. Well, I was wondering, uh, going back to 2010, 2011, you guys obviously were running away with the first seed in the West and running away with the President's Trophy. I think you guys won something like 16 of your last 20 games, and you finished the season. I remember you guys lost two games in a row to Edmonton, and people were like, oh, what's going on with the team? And then you beat Minnesota and Calgary to finish off the year. What was it like that year to maintain the focus, and how were you guys able to maintain that focus despite pretty much running away with the President's Trophy? Yeah, that that first year was... uh... Like it was, it was nice to be honest because there was almost no adversity, no stress, and stuff like that. The team we knew we were good when we started, um, and you looked at the roster, but like it, it took a while before you you figure out how good you really are. Because we had games where uh, we might be down or tied going into the third, and like we're gonna win this. You just have that feeling. You just knew it. Um, so the, the stress and the, the mental fatigue wasn't there that year um, because of the, 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 the things I was just mentioning. You were, you were confident and, like I said, winning, winning solves just about anything. And when you're winning that, that many games, um, not a lot of things. It's nice in practice. Nobody's yelling at you. You're feeling good. Teams are producing and, and everybody is, is looking good on the ice as well. So um, that, that thing was, was, was a blessing. The, the problem became a little bit of, again, that intensity. It, 
yeah, we 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 started out well and won the first couple of games against Blackhawks and, and stuff like that. But but then again, you don't want to get lulled into anything where you're you're taking things for granted, which happened the following year. And that's why I mentioned because again, we were so good in the regular seasons, no issues, cruising through, uh, and then we run into LA. Um, and now all of a sudden we played a team that's so desperate and obviously Danny's not playing so team aren't as sharp right at the end but but again you, you're looking ahead where there was no looking ahead against Blackhawks like we, we knew this was this was a series we have to beat this team where when we play LA we're like we're already looking at not I'm not saying conference final but you're already okay this is two months uh, there's a lot of stuff we got to go through before it gets really exciting uh, where in, in 11, like it was that that first game was, uh, yeah, the building blew up, like, like you guys remember it, and, and mm-hmm. that's how it felt too. Where the series against LA, it, it felt like the regular season just kind of continued, uh, and we just kind of expected to win. Yeah, and, uh, you know, th- like this team. It almost feels like they they have that that hunger where like this is the first time this core group has had this kind of success, and so given from where they came from, you know, essentially last year was I guess rock bottom we can call it now, and where they are now, I mean, it, it feels like you know they, they don't take anything for granted as a group. At least that's the way it feels from the outside, Yannick. Yeah, you you get a you get a. Once you taste uh, taste winning, um, it's it's very contagious, and you want it, and you strive for it. Um, it's elusive, don't get me wrong, but 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 winning is uh, it's almost everything, man. It, it's such a good feeling. Uh, life is easier, and then everybody is happy. Uh, and then, again, we play hockey because we love the game. But but again, when you're losing and uh, a lot of dark days and all these things. Yeah, we're still playing in the NHL, flying first class and nice hotels and all these things. But but it wears on you, man. It, it wears on you. And it, it's so tiring coming to the rink when things aren't going well. Um, coaches are miserable and management are upset. And, and it just filters down. So, like, you get some winning. It's like you, you can't still that hunger. You, you want it and, and you crave for it. And you, you everything you do just drives you towards it. Yeah, and uh, the the way the standards uh, seem to be set this year are uh, just different from what we'd seen in the past. And, you know, the other night uh, it got a lot of headlines, uh, much to the uh, dismay of uh, head coach Rick Tockett, as he let everybody know yesterday, that you know, he gave a little critique to Elias Pettersson after you know, the loss to, to St. Louis. And, you know, Pettersson had a couple of turnovers before the, the uh, Braden Chen ended up scoring the goal, which... You know, there was controversy on the the non call as well on that play, but talk had focused on on some of the other things going on in in Pedersen's game. It's just it's not often you hear a coach critique a star player openly like that in in the media, and I think that's mostly what caught everybody off guard. No, it's Vancouver media for you. Um, <laughs> what they should have done should have sat down and said, "Wow, what a game Suter played, Hattrick." Yeah. Uh, Great game by him. He's in at uh, scoring the tie game with a goalie pulled. When is the last time we've seen him out there for that? No, Vancouver media right after. Why didn't PD produce? Uh, why is he not scoring? Uh, all, all of these things, and that's that's an American, that's Canadian market for you. That that's why when back when you hear players or oh, why they're not coming to Canada, why they prefer to play in in San Jose or in Florida or these places, this is why um, because. Negativity 
I don't know if it sells. Uh, you're not buying newspapers anymore, but then clicks. Uh, and it, it's it's how we were treated too, how we played. It was almost a, an us against you guys mentality. And it wasn't players again for, for the fans. No, it was the media. And it, it felt like when, and I keep saying you guys, I'm, I'm part of it now. But when you guys walked into our dressing room, we had so many beat writers, so many columnists. I know it's not the same anymore, but it, it felt like, it seemed like, and it showed that you almost have to overdo each other. We almost have to find the most negative story um, among each other, and then who can get the, who can get the, the most reviews on this stuff. And it, it didn't matter if we had guys that were scoring back-to-back hat-tricks or guys who were putting up career numbers – no, we'd sewn in on a guy who was minus two the night before when we won 5-3. Or we'd sewn in on a guy who hadn't uh, scored a goal even though we just won six in a six out of the last five or uh, six out of the last seven, if you will. And that's just the way it was. And when you're playing, you don't really notice it. But that year, it really became, um, there in, in 10 and 11, it really became noticeable because we started, obviously, the, the articles we were, we were reading, we were doing so well and putting up these records and guys were having um, uh, individual trophy years, if you will, and still there were this many negative stories coming out of the, out of the room. It was like, how is this happening? Um, and, and why is it happening? Because like the greatest entertainment in town that the, they've seen in I don't know how many years, and it was highlight reels from the twins and all of these things, and still we, we'd sewn in on like I said, the negative stuff, and that hasn't gone away. You just haven't noticed it as much because the team has been played uh, has played so poorly in the last couple of years that where you've almost been accustomed to the negativity because the team has been playing that way. Now all of a sudden we're playing well or they're playing well, um, but it's still those things that gets the most attention. It's not the positives, and it, it's a phenomenal example a guy scoring his first hat trick for for the team, getting opportunities. What gets talked about afterwards? It's not that you come back after having been down. It's not that you find a way to get a point when you probably shouldn't have. No, it's what's wrong here. Why isn't he doing this? And then can we get just a little bit from the coach or somebody saying something, and then then it blows up real fast. I know I went I- off on a rant there, but. <laughs> <laughs> I love the passion, Yannick. But as far as, you know, Pedersen himself goes, I mean, we were doing the post-game show and, you know, the text inbox was lighting up and people criticizing Pedersen. They're like, he fell over in overtime. He had a tough game again. This guy's not, he doesn't produce consistently enough for a guy who wants 12 to 13 million a year. In terms of production and consistency, and, and the one thing I mentioned was, well, I mean, the guy's only had two stretches all year where it's two games where he hasn't had a point. Like that's it. Everything, every other game. So what, in 40, 44 out of 48 or 43 out of 48 games he's played this year he's picked up a point that's pretty remarkable that's pretty consistent in my estimation right he's one of the top league leaders in game winning goals but is there is there something there in terms of him not being consistent enough with his play or do you think that's over uh, over analyzing his play you always want your your stars player to to dominate every game because um, you rely on them to win um, and it shows when you don't win and that's where it probably comes from if you win that game in overtime doesn't really matter how we're not talking about it because you still found a way to win um, but but it, it's one of those things that I think you worry a little bit in the Vancouver market here that if if these couple guys if they aren't producing 
um, what happens to this team uh, because they have been carrying the load. Team has been playing really good. You're getting contribution from a lot of different areas, but like the team is getting carried by JT, by by Quinn, by by PD and 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 Demer. So so it's like it, it does hang on a couple of guys, a uh, few guys, and that's where this fear maybe comes from. That if they aren't firing at at a, a full cylinders, what happens to this team? Are we gonna get let down? If one of these two guys take a little bit of a dive in in their play all of a sudden, so it's I, I think it's more so that thing that that comes through, or not so much. Uh, is he doing what he's supposed to? No, you're you're worried that uh, uh, that this this season they're having right now that that it's it's a mirage and it's it it can't be contained. I think. Yeah, and I, I wanted to ask you about overtime because you know the play where Shen. He knocks down Pedersen and gives himself space to to take that puck and, and score the winning goal. You know, the the other night we saw, uh, I guess it was Jan Ruda. He threw like three picks for San Jose before they eventually scored a scored a winning goal. And you know, just players taking liberties in overtime, almost like daring the ref to make a make a penalty call because we know how much the whistles go away in in overtime. Is is that sort of a mindset that some players might have? I, I don't know. Uh, I haven't played long enough. Uh, it's too far for that now. But it's it's like you you always use everything you can, and then again, you get that power play. You try, but but again, I I hate using that as an excuse. Like, and I'm I'm not a I'm not a fan of of the the whistle being blown too often. I prefer the players to uh, dictate the game. And yeah, if there's a penalty, there's a penalty. But like in my opinion, it's too much uh, right, right now as to what's allowed and what's not allowed. Um, I, I like a little more uh, go back to how it used to be. But again, that's personal opinion, if you will. Um, again, the players now know how how worried refs are of getting called out because everything gets highlighted from them too. Um, and there has been a couple of things where like they get shown up now because of video reviews and all these things and everybody hates being, being wrong. Um, so, so it's one of those things where it's nice when you, uh, it's nice when this three and three goes away and we can go back to, to normal overtime come playoff time. And uh, again, then let, let the players dictate. Uh, now that you shamed us into talking about Pew Suter, what do you think of Pew Suter? Hattrick, he's got 12 goals in the season now, making <laughs> $1.6 million. Like, How good of a fit has he been? Yeah, this is, it's just one of, the, one of those players that fit like a glove, right? Um, they went out and, and they filled a ton of holes in the summer, and he was one of them. Um, and yeah, he's been injured, which has kind of uh, hurt him a little bit in, in terms of consistency, but, but you can see what's there. And uh, again, uh, he fits on a third line, on a fourth line. Um, he, he's got the he's got the finish to do more. Um, but again, you have two really good centers in, in front of him, uh, three in, in Bluger as well. But I think those two are, what do you say, three A and B, if you will. Um, and again, they can get enough ice time. They can play the, the specialty team as well. Um, so it, it's nice to see these guys that you. Um, you add later in the season, and they, and they really pan out. They turn out like Rafi Torres, a player you add the day before camp and just comes in and fit, uh, fills a, a hole in the lineup that's been needed, and then uh, excels. Uh, so so it's great to see. It's good to see. And again, you're you're always happy for these guys that that bounce around and and then then find their footing a little bit and and have a good year. 
Yannick, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for this. Enjoy the weekend. Yeah, my pleasure. Take right. care. There he is, Yannick Hansen. Ooh, fire from Yannick. I love it. Rip it into us and himself at the same time. <laughs> oh, so good. So fantastic. Like I say you guys, but I'm also the media now. Yeah. Yes. Uh, no, I mean, it, it, listen, it's always fair. You know, you can have your opinions and the critique or, and, and whatever. The thing I found really fascinating about the Pedersen stuff, this is even before the coach was asked about it. I mean, on our post-game show, the text message inbox was full of people being critical of this play, right? The phone calls were like people just ripping into Pedersen and falling over being weak and, and not stepping up in a big game is how people saw it, right? So I get it for sure, but it's one of those things where a, a segment of the fan base right now isn't sold on EP40, Right, like I think, I think that's it's becoming increasingly clear, especially as the contract situation remains undetermined so far, and we know that it's going to be a big contract no matter what. So it's it's one of those things. Like I, I do think there are a lot of people that are not convinced. So after years of trying to convince yourself, Bo Horvat is a number one center. Um, now you really want to get rid of the, the guy that is the number one center that you need to, to, to win a Stanley Cup? I mean, he's going to have back-to-back 100-point seasons. I haven't loved everything about Pedersen's game through the year, but you know what? He's, got, he's going to have back-to-back 100-point seasons, and this is a first-place hockey team right now. So that's kind of hard to complain about too much, it, it, right? do, you, do you think there's like an emotional hedge going on with some fans? I feel like that, people are like preparing themselves for the breakup, you know? Yeah, right? So like you're emotionally, you get ahead of you like, oh, I know this person's going to break up with me, so I'm going to find all the faults. <laughs> I don't like her anyways. <laughs> Falls down too much. Yeah. I don't know. I don't Coordinated. Know. Scores yeah. too many goals. Yeah. Yeah. Now he wants to get paid too much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's an interesting one with, uh, with Elias Patterson, the way things are going. All right, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Coming up, it's the Mailbag on Mailbag Friday, Canuck Central.